Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Amen. Well, uh, as we're approaching Christmas and all this, it is incredible to me that we're already there. I mean, I know most of you feel the same way. It's just like you turned around, boom, man, another year's gone by. It's incredible. But over the week, um, we, as I was reading, just doing my own devotion, what have you, uh, without apology, I say I got slapped in the face again just with the strength of God's word on grace. And, uh, you know, it just, I, I don't know, as a minister, it's really difficult because if you just say, well, we're going to teach some more on grace or something, you know, people kind of hum and haw, <laughs> you know, we know what you're going to say. And it's, I don't know, like I said, it's difficult to try to help or try to find the way to make this truth carry the weight that it should carry in our lives. I mean, one of the very first song we came, we sang this morning, I had a lyric in it where it said something about in this, in this reign of grace, you know, this time that we're living in, which is the reign of of God's grace. God's grace is upon this time on planet Earth, you know, on the body of Christ. Incredible, incredible truth. I thought about teaching from Galatians because I kept reading Galatians 3, 4, and 5 about the difference between the law and the promise. The law and the promise. Paul speaks over and over again about the difference that, you know, were before people lived under the law. Today we live under the promise. And just how incredible, and I wanted to go into that, but it's just such a deep study. I didn't want to go into it where, you know, we're in one week, we're out another week, we're in one week, we're out another week. But it's an incredible thing, really, to understand that today we live in the promises of God. And God's promises, you know, it has nothing to do with obedience to the law, because the law has been killed. The law is dead, according to Scripture right now. We no longer live under the law. Just please say amen anyhow. I mean, really don't. Your life is not to be arranged around regulations and structure and what have you. It's, it's, it's the law of liberty that we're now living under, which is a, 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 even a greater responsibility. And it's a funny thing because our responsibility today is to yield and actually believe. Only believe. Only believe that through the blood of Jesus Christ right now, that we actually have right standing with God. I don't care how many times we're taught it. You know, we're going to teach it over and over again because people, there are people who still need to hear it, including a guy named Rod Anderson. We have right standing with God. I said we have right standing with God. Now, not because of our behavior, not because we've done anything perfectly. We have right standing with God because of the blood of Jesus and because of our decision to believe on Jesus of Nazareth. His righteousness has been deposited to our account, right? His righteousness. His righteousness. The glory that Jesus Christ walked in. Everything that was about him. His perfect right standing with the Father God. His perfect perfect right standing with the Father, has been deposited into our heart as far as God's concerned. God sees us 
like he sees Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees you like he sees his son, Jesus Christ. That's supposed to change you. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith you've been born into, wherewith you've been found. We have to learn how to stand fast in this liberty. I hope we do wake up. <laughs> Anyhow, as I began to go through this afresh and just consider it again, you know, about the grace that came in the person of Jesus. You know, I dug out some of my old notes and I taught a whole course on it, you know, called Which Side of Calvary all those years ago. But I was led to Romans 5 and Romans 6 in the Message Bible. So I've got it. I've asked them to put it up in the message. I'm going to read the entire fifth chapter of Romans and the first 11 verses of Romans 6. But let's just take a moment and read this. The message is fun in some of the areas. It is amazing. Now just listen to Paul. Listen to this in the message. Romans 5, verse 1, the message. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him, we have it all together with God. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, I've got it all together. Hallelujah. I can tell you believe it. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything that God is generously pouring into our lives through the Holy Spirit. I like that. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything that God's doing. Verse 6, Christ arrives just on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand somebody dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to it. Now that we are set right with God by means of this sacrificial death, and hear what Paul's saying in whatever, script, whatever trans, translation. Now that we are set right with God, right? Just nod your head, act like you're awake. Starbucks will still be open afterwards, I promise you. Now that we are set right with God, 
by means of the sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If, when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of His Son, now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of His resurrection. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we're no longer content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah, the death-dealing sin, the life-giving gift. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God and everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely, as Adam did, by disobeying a specific command of God, still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead end, abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man Jesus Christ will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on this one man's wrongdoing, whoops, I said the verdict on, let me read that again. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence, the verdict on the one man's wrongdoing. Can you imagine the breathtaking Sorry, I read it wrong again. I apologize. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that follow was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides? Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. Praise God. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. Amen? Hallelujah. That's why we're not called to preach sin. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. But grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Hallelujah. And here, then we go to Romans 6, verses 1 through 14, actually. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country... 
If we've actually left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered in the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin miserable life. No longer it sends every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. I like that. Think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God, that's what Jesus did. Verse 12, verse 12 says, that means you must, I love this, that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. I love, look at this next part. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. I love that. Don't even run a little errand. Don't even let sin allow you to run a little errand. Not even, not even a little bit. I am. I like that. Don't even let, don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time, remember you've been raised from the dead, into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Somebody say amen. But I, I just like that. I thought it was a good portrait of what it's all about. But like I said, so this situation, I just want to talk a little bit afresh about the grace of God. Because again, it's, you know, forever, I think, you know, the devil has been in, on his job for many, 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 many centuries to keep us in a state of confusion and to keep us in a state of condemnation. I mean, let's face it, it's still true, you know. All of us, I think, find ourselves in the position where we judge ourselves. We judge the majority, how do I say this? We judge the fullness of who we consider ourselves to be by our own actions and by our own behavior. And it's understandable. You know, don't do this, don't do that, you know, all our lives. And I'm telling you, it is difficult to make that shift. 
or you actually get to the place where you, when you make a mistake, you don't think so highly about the mistake that you made. Now, I don't know how to say that because it's difficult. Of course, like Romans 6 says, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Of course not. But somehow we really do have to awaken unto grace. Chuck Swindoll wrote an incredible book called The Grace Awakening. I may quote some of that later. But to really awaken to the fact that, again, you know, we are right with God. And if I make a mistake, and then again, please, please don't freak out when I say it this way. But you have to kind of get to the way, I don't know, I better not even say it because some people will take it wrong. <laughs> but when you make a mistake, when you do something wrong, that you're so aware of the forgiveness and the love and the grace that's already yours in Jesus, that you, you, just, you, you, you just don't allow it to speak to you louder than what God's love speaks. And again, it's just one of the dividing lines of Scripture again is Romans 2.4, that verse that says where Paul said, are you shamefully ignorant of the fact that it's God's goodness that's intended to draw your hearts and minds to repentance, to change your inner man, to change your will so that you can obey God? Yeah, read it there. Are you unmindful or actually ignorant of the fact that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repent, to change your mind, and inner man to accept God's will. It's the goodness of God. It's God's kindness. We're supposed to meditate on the kindness of God, on the mercies of God. It is by your compassions that we are not consumed for your your, your, your great mercies fell not. They're brand new every morning. Again, to me, I know we always used to sing that old song, but it's still the current truth. It's through his great mercies and his compassions that we're not consumed. It's because of his great mercy and compassion that you are not consumed. Because his, all of his mercy is brand new every single morning. You never will run out of God's desire. When God looks at you, he sees you through mercy. There is no judgment any longer. Gosha prayed that little statement when she prayed over the offering. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And there's all these verses that we can go to and maybe we will go to next week depending on where we get today. But just that, just that understanding, just to, oh, God, help me, you know, to really, really comprehend what happened, what was the thing about Jesus. Now, turn to John, the first chapter, if you would, the Gospel of John, the first chapter. And um, I want us to read this afresh. In John chapter 1, it says, we'll start in verse 14, one we're very, very familiar with. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 12, John chapter 1, verse 12. Okay, hallelujah, John 1, 12. Just waiting until they get it up. But to as many as did receive and welcome him, Jesus, he gave the authority, the power, the privilege, the right to become the children of God. That is to those who believe in and adhere to trust and rely on his name, 
who owe their birth neither to bloods nor to the will of flesh, that is a physical impulse, nor to the will of man, that of a natural father, but to God, who owe their birth to God. They are now born of God. Hallelujah. Every single one of you in here that are born again, that have made that decision, that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now born of God. God is your father. God's last name is your surname. Hallelujah. You have sonship, perfect sonship with him. Verse 14, and the word Christ became flesh, human incarnate, and tabernacled and fixed his tent of flesh, lived while among us. And we actually saw his glory, his honor, his majesty. Such glory as an only begotten son receives from his father, full of grace, full of what? He was full of grace, favor, loving kindness, and truth. That's what he's full of. That's what he's full of. That's what he's full of. He's full of grace. He's full of loving kindness, favor, and truth. Verse 15. John testified about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has priority over me, for he was before me. He takes rank above me, for he existed before I did. He has advanced before me because he is my chief. Verse 16 and 17. For out, now this is a, these are two verses I hope, I want you to believe. Okay, is it okay to ask people to believe the Bible? You guys are really awake, I tell you. Hallelujah. For out of his fullness, his abundance, we have all received. Just, just stop there. For out of his fullness, out of the abundance of what Jesus carried, we've all received. We who have received him as Lord and Savior. It's not something you're going to have one day. It's something that's present with you right now. For out of his fullness, his abundance, we have all received. We've all had a share and we were all supplied with one grace after another spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. Hallelujah. Then it goes on and says, for while the law was given through Moses, grace, unearned, undeserved favor, and spiritual blessing and truth came through Jesus Christ. But verse 16 is a verse that years ago I studied out, you know, in in lexicons, and it, it speaks about an unbreakable circular motion. An unbreakable circular motion. This is why it says we've been supplied with one grace after another, blessing upon blessing, favor upon favor, gift heaped upon gift. I want you to catch that. It means that everywhere you look, everywhere you consider Jesus, wherever he was, this is what he was. He, you know, this is what he offered. It wasn't just a, a little bit here, a little bit there. It was so huge, it was unstoppable. It was so huge, it just kept coming. It wasn't a little bit of favor. It wasn't a brill cream like we always used to say. It wasn't a brill cream Christianity, you know, a little dabble, do you? You know the old joke? (laughs) But it wasn't. It was, uh, see what he's trying to communicate in the language here. This is why I love the Amphite. We were all, speaking of you and I, we were supplied with one grace after another. Spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. Not just one spiritual blessing, but blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon. They're trying to communicate that this Jesus was huge in what he carried. 
He was incredible in what he carried. And he's trying to communicate that we have received out of his fullness all of this ourselves. Blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace, favor upon favor. And I love it. It says gift heaped upon gift. In other words, if you can just picture like young kids hope to see on a Christmas morning under the Christmas tree, not just a gift, but just picture it gift upon a gift, but then another gift upon that pile, and then another gift upon that pile, and then another gift upon that pile, and then another gift upon that file, file, pile, and then another gift upon that pile, and then another gift upon that pile. I mean another gift upon that pile, and there's another gift upon that pile. You look at one gift, you look at one gift, and you take it away thinking it's the last, and five more appear after it, and you just don't know what to do because there's a gift heaped upon gift, 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 heaped upon gift. I mean, this is what they're trying to communicate that happened when they came into the presence and into the realization and the revelation of this man, Jesus Christ. And we have received out of his abundance. We've received this grace upon grace. See, like I said, it's difficult because it can't be just words that fly over your head. This is why we really do have to be students of the word. We really do have to meditate in this because it has to come alive to you. If it's alive to me, that's one thing, but it has to come alive to you. Where you begin to see yourself today, I mean, right now, my Lord, you see, he's got to break the power of that spirit of poverty. And I don't, I don't mean just poverty as far as it comes to financing. I just mean low level of living. I mean, low life thinking, you know what I mean? Where we somehow, we see ourselves always under the circumstances. We see ourselves always hindered or somehow constrained by this and constrained by that and constrained by this. This is why people who are winners, they simply do think big. They do. I mean, they do. They think bigger. And it really upsets those of us who think smaller. My wife does really freak me out sometimes. Julie thinks big. You know, some people would be wonderful if they thought they had a dream you're going to get 8,000 pounds. She has dreams where she's going to be given 800 million. That freaks me out. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, she just thinks bigger than me. And I go, oh, my God, you know, but I'd kind of like to get in on it if she gets the 800 million. I mean, we are one, right, sweetheart? We are one. We are one. So come on. Come on. Come on, 800 million. Come on, 800 million. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah, right? I mean, if Bill Johnson can drive a new white Bentley, and if Chris Valentin can drive a new Corvette, I can drive a Volkswagen. You know. No, I mean, seriously, you know, we're not after Bentleys. We really aren't. But hear what I'm trying to say. Any way you look at it, see, what God did in Christ is so manifestly huge that hell has to work overtime to keep us diminished. He's got to keep you down. He's got to keep you thinking smaller. He's got to keep you listening to the why things won't work as opposed to the, you know what, it may work this time for, I mean, you know what, this time may be the time when everything breaks loose. That attitude. And I love the fact that Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, Julie isn't Jesus, but I think it was Jesus sometimes. But when Julie mentioned about, you know, just being thankful again, coming up to Thanksgiving, our, our American holiday, 
I mean, honestly, there's nothing, I think it's probably one of the most powerful forces a human being can ever, ever have is an attitude of gratitude, like they say, where you continue to stay grateful. When people hear you constantly giving thanks, you do, like it says, the Bible says to be thankful in all things. It doesn't say to be thankful for all things. You don't get thankful for sickness. But staying grateful and thankful in the midst of storms and trials is what causes the length of those tests and trials to shorten up. Let me tell you, if Satan can't keep you depressed, I mean, if you know, that's his job is to keep you intimidated and keep you depressed. But I'm telling you, if you just stay grateful, you stay with that attitude. You know what? I may not be, I may not be experiencing it right now, but my God, I serve a God who really is more than enough. I really do serve a God who's more than enough. I have received of his abundance, grace upon grace, favor upon favor, blessing upon blessing, gift heaped upon gift. I mean, you need to like get that verse out and say it to yourself about 5,000 times. That's my brother. That's my savior. That's the one who said he would never ever leave me or forsake me. I, how can I walk near or close to him and not experience this fullness? <laughs> Hallelujah. And all of this is exemplified by this one word, grace. For out of his fullness have we all received grace upon grace, grace upon grace. And I turn to Luke 4 to another very, very familiar verse where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, one heaven. But I'm going to read this one to us. I'm not going to be long. Hallelujah. I really aren't. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to read from verse 14, Luke 4, verse 14. Then Jesus went back full of and under the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee, and the fame of him spread through the whole region round about. And he himself conducted a course of teaching in their synagogues, being recognized and honored and praised by all. So he came to Nazareth, that Nazareth where he had been brought up, and he entered the synagogue as was his custom on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And there was handed to him the roll of the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened and unrolled the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Uh, you know, can I stop here and say that it's actually okay for every single one of you to pray this verse over yourself? Now, it really is. I was taught that by old prophets of God years ago. They said, you must look at this verse and you must make it part of your everyday prayer life. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach this gospel. And let me read it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, the Messiah, to preach the good news, the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. He's anointed us to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to send forth as delivered 
those who are, are oppressed, who are downtrodden or bruised or crushed or broken down by calamity. To proclaim the acceptable, the accepted and the acceptable year of the Lord. Now listen to this and amplify this phrase. We're to proclaim, we are, you and I are to be proclaiming the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. Hallelujah. We're to preach the day where the free favors of God profusely abound. Profusely abound. Now, I've got two little slides and a PowerPoint thing. I want to get, I want to put up again the definition of the word gospel, euaglion. This is from a, a Lou and Nita's lexicon. We're called to preach the gospel. These are the four statements that it says in the Greek language that must always accompany this word euaglion. This is the gospel. I love this. News that makes one happy. Information that causes one joy. Words that bring smiles. A message that causes the heart to be sweet. Hallelujah. Now, ask yourself a question. Sadly, from these things we call pulpits, I know in my experience, I heard a whole lot of stuff that did not make me smile, that did not cause my heart to be sweet. Now, like you've heard me say, indeed, we must teach about sin and the cost of sin, the wages of sin, that is death. But as we'll get to, probably like I said, maybe next week, but remember, the Bible actually teaches that you're not qualified to teach people about sin until you first taught them about grace. Because to only talk to people about sin, if they have no revelation first of what Jesus came to do, of who he was, of this fullness, grace upon grace, favor upon favor, blessing upon blessing, gift heaped upon gift, if they don't have a revelation of that, they have no power. They don't have the revelation of the goodness. It doesn't, and I mean, like we said, I'll maybe go to Titus in a little bit. All through scripture, it speaks about how grace is what trains you to say no. Grace is what empowers you to be able to say no to temptation. So if all I do is come in and talk to you about this is sin, that is sin, and this is sin, and that's sin. How many of you have sin in your life? Well, everybody's got sin in their life. They do. Even, even this young lady there, Emma, possibly. She's got a little, do you have any sin in your life? You have sin in your life, young woman? Yes, indeed. No, sorry. Just wanted to see if she'd faint or anything. But really, at the risk of my stupid humor, this is why we've got to be so careful. We're called, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel. We're called to preach the gospel. And it's only when you've preached the gospel, it's only when you've actually preached to the people the gospel that you're, as it were, endorsed to then talk to them about sin because now they have something to kill it with. Now they have something to understand that 
the power of sin's already been broken. Sin will no longer have dominion over you because of this grace. The grace is so huge, remember, like Romans 5 says, that it can't be compared to the fall of man. And again, my God, I mean, I'll wait until next week to go to that one too. But remember Romans 1, Paul said this whole thing about the gospel. He said, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Right? Is that right? He said, the gospel is the power of God. See, this you got to stop and read them slowly. This good news, this news that makes one happy, this information that causes one joy, these words that bring smiles. See, it's good news to the poor to say again truly that, you know, it's not about money, but you'll never have to be poor again. You'll have riches on the inside that make you so incredibly free that suddenly you'll begin to live like a magnet and good things will begin to be attracted to you by virtue of an attitude change because you become grateful. Just God, I, you know, God is here. God is with me. Hallelujah. That's enough. God is with me. God is with me. Can you imagine the depth of the wealth of peace some of these people in those persecuted lands how they feel just to have the peace of God in the midst of a storm when, you know, they've gone through such physical, absolute, you know, being thrown into a fire or a young girl being held down and raped and yet being able to come out of that and be absolutely have something so much more alive to her than what happened physically to her, that she's able to, from her heart, rejoice and give thanks to God for the peace because she believes. She believes. God help us, really. Like I said, we get traumatized because our, our TiVo box didn't tape what we wanted it to tape. You know what I mean? This is why, again, we have to go over and over again. There is a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it's your understanding would say to you, uh, how can I ever recover? Look what's happened to me. Because that's what hell wants you to do, remember? Hell wants you to meditate over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to mistakes that you've made or to abuse that's happened to you through no fault of your own. But it makes no difference to hell. Hell just wants you under. Do you really hear me? Hell wants you to live from a point of pain. Everybody has a place of pain in their life, real pain, whether it comes from rejection, betrayal, and like I said, a physical something that's happened to you, an incredible disappointment, everybody. And it's only when Christ comes in you that you can be purged 
permanently from any place of pain. In other words, from that place of pain dictating your future and dictating how you think about life, how you approach life, where you're fearful, you live in a state of one level of fear or another, where you always believe something negative is probably going to happen to me. Something wrong will probably happen again. Something will happen to shortcut the goodness of God happening in my life. Hell just wants you to concentrate on that. And this is what I mean. We've got to keep going back to this. Paul said it's the gospel of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And remember that word salvation, sozo, S-O-Z-O. It means deliverance. It means freedom. It means healing. It means soundness of mind. The gospel, the good news, is God's power. That's where God's power strikes you and delivers you from that stuff. Please hear me. Please hear me. It's the good news. That is the power of God. It's when you suddenly hear. I, 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 can, be, I can live above this. Like I said, you know, remember, you know, we all have a testimony. I don't have yours, you don't have mine, but I have mine. <laughs> and I remember, you know, oh, so well. What it means to be betrayed, what it means to have a broken heart, what it means to just think you're doing something right for the first time in your life and then to be, have it all shattered in the moment of time. And just everything, you just, and you're too young in the Lord, you know, and I remember just sitting in this, just, well, like I said, just going, I got, thought I was going insane, you know, just broken because, you know, it's all right, real quick. My first wife, you know, when the very first, I'm in Teen Challenge, I'll, real quickly, I'll tell it again. I'm in Teen Challenge. I'm sitting under the Bible. I'm te- sitting under Bible teaching four hours a day, five days a week. And I've been there. Th- you don't get a visit until after four months at that time. And, you know, and you're thinking, that, wow, finally, you know, I'm beginning to catch something. I don't understand it all. I'm four months old in the Lord. But I know something on the inside, you know, something, the Holy Ghost. But in those days, you called it something. <laughs> But, you know, something tells you uh, this stuff is real. I don't understand it, can't understand it, but, you know, there's kind of hope came alive in me. I don't have to be a heroin addict the rest of my life, like my parole officer said. I don't have to go to prison for the rest of my life. Like they told my sisters, you know, he'll spend the rest of his life in and out of prison. I had hope that came alive in me. And then, you know, in the middle of all that, like I said, my I get this, my very first visit from my first wife, and she comes in, and she had long hair, and she flicks her hair back. She's got this big old hickey on her neck, about the size of a baseball. <laughs> and, you know, I went, and it, I can't put in words. You know, it just, I was blown away. I thought I, I couldn't conceive, and I remember just going, my God, I, I'm, what? I don't understand. I'm, I'm, I think, aren't I doing something right now? I'm here, I'm learning the Bible. I mean, I'm sitting with a bunch of weird people who lift their hands. 
and they, they sing, they sing out loud, men with men sing. <laughs> They're singing out loud to God, and that's weird. But something about it's real. You know, why now? Why now? Why now? Why, why? And I remember looking at her and just going, what, what? Well, I couldn't talk, and she was freaked out because she was scared because she thought I was still the old rod. I never hit her in my life, but I did pull down on her with a 9mm Browning once. She pushed me too far, and I went, oh, I'm going to blow your head off. Anyhow, that was the good days. Good pastor. Sweet pastor. Hallelujah. You know, I'll tell you, before Jesus, let me tell you, before Jesus, women can drive you mad. Hallelujah. But she thought I was going to kill her. She thought I just, you know, because she knew the old rod. She figured, man, whatever. Oh, my God. Anyhow, but I just looked at her and I said, leave. And anyhow, you've, I told you this story. I went into this mail room at Teen Challenge. I was the head of the mail room. Locked the doors. And I sit down and I just started to cry like a big baby because my heart was broken. I just thought I couldn't. I couldn't put it together how for the first time in my life, after years of heroin addiction, going in and out of prison, watching my dad die because of everything, me getting, you know, everything that happened in the last chapter of that part of my life. And I just, I couldn't, you know, why now, God? Why? What? I don't understand. What? How can... This, but anyhow, and like I said, I just started, I was crying so hard, I thought I was going to croak. But then suddenly I shifted. I didn't try to, but I went, like I said, from just weeping my heart out till I started to laugh a little. And I, then I was freaked out because my mind was trying to figure out, why are you laughing? You've just, you know, you've just been betrayed and everything else. And I, started, <laughs> I just started laughing to the point I was laughing so hard. Honestly, I thought I was going to choke to death from laughing now. I mean, just laughing so hard. And I remember thinking to myself while I was laughing, I'm actually going insane. (laughs) I'm actually going insane. And it feels good. Hallelujah. 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 You know, just cracking up. Just, I mean, cracking up the whole thing. It's like it became, I don't want to use the word joke, but it was like it didn't make any difference. And at that moment in my life is when I made a choice. Sometimes you have to look back at it. But I remember crying out and I said, God, I'm not going back. I will never, ever go back. I mean, because my flesh wanted to do what your flesh is supposed to do, go find a guy, blow his head off. I am never going back. I remember just saying, I screamed it. I am never going back. And that was the point. I said those same words that I said earlier. I said, I don't know what all this stuff is about, but I know it's real. Something in me tells me this is real and that this is the path you want me on. I refuse to go away from it. And that moment is when my life really changed. And I mean, I said yes to God in no uncertain terms, and at the risk of sounding melodramatic, I've never turned back. I've never turned back, and I never will, because God has shown himself alive to me over and over again. And I'm just saying all of us have a point of pain, but you see, God is only, he's the only one that can do it. He can absolutely deliver you from any effect 
I mean literally where there's no more negative remembrance of it. And even when I talk about that now, actually there's no pain in me sharing that. And that's something you either believe or you don't. But I mean, I, I, of course I remember it. But I can say with hand on heart, with hand before God, there's simply no pain there anymore. God actually just washed it away, man. It's gone. But see, this is why I know that God can wash away any of your pain. Any. I don't care what it is. Why? Because the gospel comes to you. Seriously. Because there's news that makes one happy in the midst of all kinds of hell. Information that causes one joy. Words that bring smiles. A message that causes the heart to be sweet. That's what I heard four hours a day, five days a week. And you know what? My heart began to get sweet. And now Julie will tell you, I'm just the sweetest little cuddly teddy bear. Right, baby? I'm so sweet. I mean, I'm like a giant tin of treacle. <laughs> if anybody calls me that, I will knock them out. Just by <laughs> but I mean... And this is why, and once you've experienced this, this is why you begin to see people through your own freedom. And you can tell when people aren't in freedom. And, and you, when you begin to see that, you don't judge them at all. You just begin to think, okay, how can I get this freedom into you? And actually, there's only one way. Faith comes by hearing. I have to tell you the truth. That he will set you free from anything. That in reality, he already has. But at some point, you have to accept it. Receive it and say, this is mine. I got one other statement I want to make, then we do shut up. In Luke 4, 18 again, verse 19 rather again. Verse 19, Luke 4, 19, it says that we are to proclaim what? The acceptable year of the Lord. And yeah, that is technically the year of Jubilee. There's a whole incredible teaching on the year of Jubilee, isn't there? Every 50 years, everybody's debts were paid. Hallelujah. There was no longer any, I don't care who you were in Israel, your debts were paid in full. Everybody was exonerated from all debt. Now, that's a pretty cool thing, right? Of course, some of us, you know what we'd do in the 49th year, we'd, we'd max out every credit card we have. <laughs> but it's the year of Jubilee, the year of setting free, when people, when everybody goes free. See, God, even through the old covenant, was in the business of setting people free over and over again, and none of them really deserved it. But anyhow, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. Now, just for the heck of it, this is my last verse, then we're done. I, I remember I was trying to think up profuse, so I looked up the word profuse. Marked by unrestrained abundance, lavish, lush, luxuriant, a riotous pouring forth with exuberance, giving without stint, exceedingly liberal. Hallelujah. When the free favors of God profusely abound. Here again, when you begin to read this stuff, in other words, it's not just here, I'm going to give you a gift. 
Here's a fly swatter. This will help you out in the summertime when the bugs come. See, he's trying to get your vision bigger. I said he's trying to get your vision bigger. The free, everybody say free. Again, remember, what does free mean? It means it's it means free, no payment necessary, right? When the free favors, see, really, it's not scriptural to pray for favor because we've already been highly favored, and today we're supposed to live from the favor. And you have to be, but again, you have to believe that. You ha, it has to click over in you. I've got favor with God. I mean, if somebody said you had favor with the Queen of England or favor with the Prime Minister or favor with the Bank of England, if you thought about our natural terms, well, you know, this guy's my best friend. <clears throat> Hallelujah. <clears throat> he, he will, he'll do it for me. You know why? Because we're, cl- we're best friends. We're close friends. He knows me in and out. He knows I'm whatever. I have favor with him. God help us. We live in the fullness of the favor of God. When God looks at you, he's looking at you through these kind of filters saying, you know what? You're my best buddy. Really. I mean, of all the people on the earth, you're mine. And you begin to go, you begin to wake up with the attitude of, you know what, God? What, what do you want to do today? Hallelujah. Where can we go spread some blessing today? Who can I let you shine forth through my life with today? Who can I be a blessing to? Who can I encourage today? I mean, who can I encourage today? The free favors of God profusely. It's profuse. I just, I just like looking at words marked. By unrestrained abundance. In other words, there ain't no ties. Whatever heaven has, it's been poured out. Lavish, lush, luxuriant. A riot, I love it. Not just a pouring forth, but a riotous pouring forth with exuberance. (laughs) That means there's an excitement about it. In other words, God's not, well, crud. Here, go ahead and have some. (laughs) No, he lives for it. He lives for our awakening to his goodness, to the grace, to the grace upon grace, to the favor upon favor, to the blessing upon blessing, to the gift heaped upon gift, the gift that's been heaped upon gift, the heap, the heap, the gifts that have been heaped upon gifts that have come to us through this thing we call grace. Grace. So we're going to learn a whole lot more about grace as we come up to Christmas because that's what Christmas is about. It's about the grace of God changing everything. Everything. Changed everything. When I make a mistake, I don't live in it for five years. I confess it and I walk upright like a strong man should. Hallelujah. And that's what you're supposed to do, male or female. When you make a mistake, confess it. Be honest about it. Don't hide it. God already knows about it. Confess it. Forget it. 
and walk forward. Father, we give you thanks. I really give you thanks. Again, like Julie said, Father, thank you. Thank you for just helping us to be thankful. Father, open the eyes of our understanding to comprehend this grace. In the name of Jesus, open the eyes of our understanding, Father. From my heart, I am asking you to open the eyes of our understanding, Father, that we might dare to believe the love that you have for us, as it says in 1 John. We have believed the love. We have believed the love that God has for us. I want to give you thanks today, Father. I want to give you thanks for every single individual here, that your great blessing upon blessing upon blessing will begin to manifest it to them, that they will begin to look for the blessing. Oh, God, help us all to really understand that what we believe, we attract. It is so true, Father, what we believe, we attract. So in Jesus' name, I pray for every single individual to rise up and reject wrong thinking. Amen. In the name of Jesus, that they would think like you want them to think. In Jesus' name, that they would believe the truth of the gospel, of the good news, that their hearts would begin to smile, that they would begin to dare to believe, I live in the goodness of God. I actually live in the goodness of God. I live in the goodness of God. I no longer live in the realm of darkness. My heart is free. My heart is healed. I no longer live from a point of pain. Hallelujah. I live from the resurrected life of Jesus Christ that is in me. Change me forever and ever and ever. A brand new man, a new creation. Old things have just flat died. I'm a brand new man. I'm a brand new man. Hallelujah. I thank you, Father, that that will be the confession of each and every one of us. We're brand new. Brand new men and women. No longer a slave to past attractions that would lead us to death. Hallelujah. But we're bound by your great love to the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 